playing skating rinks with Five Iron Frenzy, writing his book about creative process, and so much more on episode 88 of Who Writes This Stuff. Hello. Welcome. This is Who Writes This Stuff. My name is Nick Flora. Coming to you. My name is Nick Flora, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is a really great episode. I'm excited about uh, you guys hearing my chat with Justin uh, McRoberts, who most of you might be familiar with. And if you're not, uh, I think you're in for a real treat. Uh, I love this guy. Always great to talk to him. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Some of you already know, uh, but this week it was announced that my new recording, Future Boy, uh, will be released on September 22nd of this year coming up i'm really excited about it uh if you've been listening to the podcast for a little bit I've, I've sort of let you into the process a little bit and uh you were there when i was kickstarting it and all that stuff and uh i think it's a bit of a departure this recording in some ways tone wise and and in a, but in a lot of ways it's sums up sort of who i am at this moment perfectly and uh i can't wait for it to be out in the world for mass consumption uh so september 22nd save the date um, for those of you who helped kickstart it, AKA my favorite people on the planet, uh, the digital download of it is already in your inbox. So, um, if you helped out there and want to hear it, make sure and check your email, um, and your spam folder. Cause sometimes it goes there. Exciting times. Ah, very excited about you guys, uh, getting this record and, and listening to it. Um, a lot of fun stuff going along with it too. Stuff that I've never really done before, uh, to, to sort of help get the word out and to, help uh you know connect with people and and get you guys involved as well so stay tuned i'm going to talk more about that uh on future episodes uh okay well it's the time of the show as you all know when i share with you what i learned this week what i learned this week people it is summer what i learned this week is very summer related especially if you live in the south because uh there are little tiny dinosaurs flying around everywhere called mosquitoes and I cannot go from my house to my car without getting stung uh, or bit. What do they do? They, they bite, right? Mosquitoes bite. Uh, they don't sting. Um, by dozens of them, and it's really annoying. Well, I, so, you know, in doing little random uh, recon about uh, these mosquito repellents that you have to put on, you cloak yourself with before you even leave the house, I found out mosquito repellents don't repel. They do this magic trick where they just hide you from the mosquitoes. It's kind of amazing. The spray blocks the mosquito sensors, so they don't even know you're there. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so, you know, the nerd in me is super excited about this magic mosquito invisible cloak that I can put on. And that's what I learned this week. What I learned this week. What you learned. If you'd like to write in and share with me what you learned this week, you can do so by writing whowritesthestuffpodcast at gmail.com or tweet at whowritespod. And I'll read it on this very show. Like Mr. Ryan Thomas at and looks around on Twitter. Uh, he tweeted at all frogs are edible, but avoid if tiny, brightly colored poison is secreted through their skin. So always skin before eating. Hashtag extreme food. That's a very good lesson to learn, you know, because we're always how many times have you just been in the in the creek walking through the forest looking for bunny foo foo? <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind. And you see a frog and you're like, man, I would love to eat that frog. But then you think, wait, is it poisonous or not? You know, these are thoughts we all have. So thank you, Ryan, for writing in. Uh, and once again, if you want to tweet at Who Writes Pod and let me know what you learned this week, I'll totally read it on this show. I don't care. I'll read a bunch of them. We'll make a whole show of just things that you guys learned this week. Uh, so thank you, Ryan, for writing in. Like I said earlier, Justin McRoberts is on the show today. Justin has been a music maker, speaker, advocate, and author for the better part of two decades. His latest upcoming release is entitled Everything Has Changed and is available for pre-order right now on iTunes. And uh, it releases to the world on September 1st. I'm very excited about it. I've heard it. It's wonderful. It's really good. Uh, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it, too. Uh, I met Justin when I was 18, you know, a couple years ago, uh, living in Arkansas. And I'd only had dreamed of the possibility of being a professional player of music. But he came to the college that my parents worked um, in Arkansas to play, and he blew me away, honestly. Mostly because of how he commanded a room uh, of young people, no doubt, uh, no less, with only his guitar and his voice. 
and at that point I'd really only seen full bands play live. I, you know, it was, this is sort of pre social media and they didn't really factor in. that You could just get up on stage with an acoustic guitar and it could be like a whole show, a whole experience even. And I'm so lucky in the, in the last couple of years that Justin and I have crossed paths and they got to know each other a little better and, uh, even share the stage a couple of times. And, uh, it's a beautiful bookend moment for me to know this guy at all. And I'm excited for you to hear our conversation. Uh, one of many that, that uh, we've had over the years that sort of are, you know, geared more in the creative bent. But, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of ground we covered here. This, uh, this episode was recorded in my bunk at Escape to the Lake. I'm sitting on a bunk bed uh, in Wisconsin over the 4th of July weekend. We literally left the live episode that we recorded that Justin was a part of and started recording this. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, uh, there are a few references to things we talked about there, but um, yeah, let's get into it. This is episode 88 with Justin McRoberts. Oh, the places you'll podcast. I think that'll be the name of the, the Dr. Seuss book of the, from the millennials, <laughs> from the millennials. Oh, the places you'll podcast. Uh, this is um, yeah, the first time I ever, think I've ever sat on a on a bed and just chatted. I feel like we're not just any bed. No, that's a bunk bed. It's bro. a bunk bed. <laughs> I'm sitting on a bunk bed Podcasting. while we podcast. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's a pretty solid step back for you. It, you know what? We are at camp, so it would be weird if I was at God. you know. For those listening, we're at, we're at uh, in uh, I don't even know what it is, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Or Geneva Lake, one of the two. I've seen both. Williams Bay, I've seen that. I've uh, well, seen I think the bay is called. W- wait, hold on a minute. The area is called Williams Bay. The lake is called Geneva Lake. Am I getting that wrong? I think it's. Is the lake? I think it's. Yeah, no, it is. It, it, I think the the town is Lake Geneva, and the bay is called Williams Bay. But there is a Williams Bay, the town as well. But there's also a Lake Geneva. None of this makes any sense. And it also doesn't matter. Yeah, it's um, Wisconsin. <laughs> it's Wisconsin, but uh, I. As I probably said in the preamble that is before this episode, uh, no, we're at Escape to the Lake, and so it only it only feels right when you're at camp to do a podcast in a bunk bed. In a bunk bed, solid. Did you go to camp when you were a kid? Mm-mm. You didn't ever do sleepaway camp or any of that kind of stuff. No, not really. I mean, I, got, I went to Young Life camp. Uh, oh, that's right, like yeah. Twice, which is kind of it's it's not quite. The what's same. the what's the, like sleep situation there? Is it like dorms? we do it at night mostly? <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe a few naps in the night. No, no, no not with kids. No, that was, that was yeah, we have, they have cabins and beds with bedding and pillows and stuff like that. But it was, it's not like shared rooms like this, though. Like, it's a whole, like, giant room. It's with like a bunch 16 of... to 20 yeah. people in a room. Yeah. Yeah. That's camp. Sure. Yeah. Window unit. Like, they didn't have, did they have AC? Win- did you say window unit? Yeah, they have, like, a window oh. unit for the whole thing. Like, the ca- I'm just projecting my own camp experience. Like, we had, like, one window unit for the whole, like... Oh no! The Young life camping is a little. This is a little bit different. It's a little bit higher class. Okay. And more of it, more of like, like loving kids by. Yeah. Providing something nice. Oh, I guess I would. That would be very bad if there was. If it was just like. The worst quality of life living like there's just, yeah. there's a well, yeah. you know yes. there's there's one scary guy running the cafeteria. You kind of want to make it. There's like, plenty of Christian <laughs> camping that's, very much like that. <laughs> so wait, you grew up in? Did you grow up in California? I did. Was born in Oakland, okay, and grew up in a town called Concord, which is just mm-hmm. just east of Oakland. So Oakland is just across the water, east from San Francisco, and Concord is just on the other side of the hill from Oakland. How big is Concord? Uh, like square footage wise? Yeah. So yeah. Give, me the, <laughs> give me the square footage of your hometown. What kind of what kind of podcast is this, bro? <laughs> oh, it's just all about cities and places. Uh, Concord is a medium sized suburb. Okay. So like hundred some odd thousand. Okay. So it's not like a small town or anything. It's not no, like like, okay. no, it's a city. Okay, it's a, I mean it's a suburb, but it's a city. It's not like a no, yeah, whatever. It's a it's a good sized town for the East Bay. Okay, what 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 is there to do there in Concord? Yeah, is well, it just sort of the, your stock? Because I don't know about it much about. The, I've never really spent much time on the West Coast. So oh yeah, well you're missing out. I so know. Concord. So things people would know of Concord, there's what's called the Concord Pavilion, and the Concord Pavilion is like a legit, like it's a stop on like oh. ma- like national level tours. Okay. So you know, I've seen BB King at uh, at or Aerosmith mm-hmm. at the Concord Pavilion. So it's like a Our two venue, venue. 
There they are. BB King and Aerosmith. And Aerosmith. Aerosmith's legit. Yeah. And then uh, there's a huge water slide park, which is not my cup of tea, but it's there. And uh, there's, uh, I don't know. But mostly Concord is a bedroom, not really a bedroom. It's, a, it's within uh, spitting distance of Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco. Right. And so you really, when you're having fun in Concord, you're probably out of Concord going to Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what it's about. What was the first sort of, uh, introduction to performing arts, that whole like, per, yeah, the art, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Performing for like, arts. for me as yeah, a as a performer, or seeing as a, it or just like witnessing it, you know. Uh, I grew up on stand up comedy, so oh, watching that. so watching uh, watching people do stand up, like and live, I, I, yeah, or a couple or times. Like records. Okay. We had a place in our area, like in Concord called Foo Bar. Yeah, uh, and we would go to Foo Bars. And watch like we I don't I honestly there's crap that happened in my youth and I I do not know how these things happen because I should not be allowed in as a yeah thirteen year old kid yeah like in a bar to watch watching stand up comics you know talk about sex and drugs no. and booze and women and blah blah yeah. blah 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 and but there I was like watching comics and. You know, so like I loved it. Interesting, very much so. I totally see that because I think I said that when you were on the live episode last year, like you and everybody on the panel, even Eric in Overbright, but specifically you. Every time I seen you perform, like this guy could just do this. Yeah, kind of. It's nice to be able to duck. That's the thing about stand up that I think I can articulate now, but I think they captured me. Is it, it stand up? It's you have. There's nothing. I mean, unless you have a shtick, mm-hmm. like guys who have a shtick, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it's not like pure stand up where it's just you. And a microphone, yeah. you have nothing to hide behind. Like as a musician, mm-hmm. like I can crack some jokes, and then I can duck behind the guitar and the song. Poorly, if it's going say, poorly, and anyway, one, two. Three. So like, w- like I have the the nice little sort yeah. of you know two pronged approach where if the music isn't hitting, like I can tell some stories and be funny, mm-hmm. or if I'm being mm-hmm. you know, I can't be funny, blah blah blah. But look, a comedian again, unless you've got a shtick and you've got a guitar, you know, Doctor Gonzo was one of the guys who was a barrier, sure. like brilliant, hilarious comic, use a guitar all the time. Unless you've got something like that, it's you. It's a microphone, and that's it. Like, so if you're bombing, you're gonna move on to the next joke. Yeah. And they know what you are bringing, because like for me as a performing singer songwriter, the the joke thing comes a little bit still at an angle. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's not. It's still not what it might be. Why people come see me now because like I, they've known for I've been doing it for 16 years. Like there aren't a lot of surprises. Yeah. <laughs> But but at least initially for the first several years, like they go to hear the songs because that's what they have as a record. Right. So the humor is kind of coming like, oh, that's a funny joke. I didn't see that coming. If you're a comic, you're there. Yeah. Because they know the jokes are coming. It's the hardest thing to do in entertainment. Like it's insanely difficult. I'll go to open mics in Nashville and there's a part of me that's like, I could do this. These guys aren't doing it. Like, yeah, you see rookie mistakes. But then I see I'm like, but I'm not. Yeah. And they are. So they they win yes. tonight because I can't even can't even know, imagine yeah. not even an open mic setting where there's five people and then the other like wannabe amateur comics right like I can't I can't even get up there I no. even I wouldn't even know where to start super intense yeah. yeah but if I have a guitar I know that everybody's expecting to hear some songs so like you just said you could throw humor in there and people are like this guy's hilarious when really I'm just probably okay funny yeah exactly you know? but they didn't it was it's all about expectations you're yeah. right you're right so like in high school uh I like I was a jokester I wasn't like full blown class clown but like I was a, I was a jokester and I was in a speech class and the speech teacher at some point this is where like the me part of it comes in I, like he put me on stage and he just kept bringing different props to see how what I would do and interact mm-hmm. with the props and then he connected me with the drama teacher, and he said, "I think this is something you could do is be on stage." But his, but the whole deal for him was, like, because I would crack jokes, that was my thing. Like right. he was thinking stand up comedy, and I like I was just kind of responding to like he brought brought up a big inflated cactus, and he said, "You have two minutes to interact with this cactus on stage in front really? of your classmates." And I was like, uh, "I don't even remember what I did. I'm yeah. sure it was something awful." And that I could go to jail for. As yeah. I think I was like, like, well, it is a, you're putting a phallic symbol in front of a, yes. a, a high yeah. schooler. Yeah. A high school kid. Like, <laughs> where, like where do you I think I'm you going with this? You're going to do yeah. with <laughs> <laughs> like, so I have, I have three ideas right away. That's <laughs> why in a hand. Knew she would meet the connection. 
at her feet was a footloose man. You see, I can't always get what you want. Oh no, you can't always get what you want. Oh no, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. To get my fair share of abuse I said we were gonna vent our frustration And if we don't, we're gonna blow a 50 amp fuse Because you can't always get what you want I said you can't always get what you want Oh no, you can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes You just might find You get what you need, yeah I said you get what you need, I wonder how, how often that happens with Speech class is an interesting thing because it, it's really Most people's jobs, they will never have to give I don't know what, what the real world preparedness is that comes with it except for maybe maybe writing or something but huh. but it is an interesting idea the more i get away from high school and i think like oh yeah we had a class that would you know just the weirdest things and not and then you learn that it wasn't a not everybody had speech not everybody had shop not everybody right. like some things were just sort typing of regional yeah yeah right. do they even do typing anymore i have no idea because i remember you being, would hope right yeah i remember when i was that age eighth grade or whatever we were the first class that went away from the typewriters we were actually using computers oh wow which means we were way late because this is like 1998 like computers oh, were yeah. already in everybody's home at this point yes but it is uh, i i the more the older i get because i was never a fan of school the more i i realize you know there's the old trope of like i'm never going to use this the kid you know argument of that is i realize now that like learning all those things and all those stupid classes and geometry and trig and all, all this stuff that i just was like i will never use this was teaching my brain to learn new things. It yep. wasn't the thing. It, it wasn't the, about trig. No, it wasn't. Thank God. It was because <laughs> no. if there was any, oh. if there's any viable part of my life that had anything to do with trig, I'm screwed. <laughs> I know. I know. There, there's a lot of like I wasn't a big math and science guy, but but I remember now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I sort of understand. Yeah. They're just teaching because you, if you don't adapt in life and learn new things. Because you, your job got cut and you have to do this thing now yep. or whatever it is, you will die. Yep. Like you will not survive. Yeah. And I think kids – I don't even know if you could tell kids that then and they would – you know, in that age and they would understand. No, you couldn't have told me that. Yeah. Like you, you, all you have to you, – you know, what you had to tell me was that if you don't, if you don't pass, you stay here. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I want I, isn't, isn't to it leave. Funny? Isn't like, it funny? That's enough sometimes. It is, like, it's please, enough most buddy, of the time. You don't want to go back. Like, no. To no, do you this don't want to do it again. again. Nope. Because it's the it's funny it's only nine months of the year but it it might as well be like a ten year sentence yeah it's like talking about Nolan's Batman it's like every time he in Dark Knight Rises he goes up to the top and he falls and they're all chanting for him yes. and he and he falls back down into the hell yeah. that's like high school it's like uh, that's what I <laughs> rise 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 yeah congratulations you're in twelfth grade now yeah. uh, I think the first time I saw you was uh i think i told you this last year but i saw you perform you came and performed at my at the college my parents taught at in arkadelphia arkansas oh whoa. It was washington baptist university it was 1999 yeah and uh that's way back and i don't remember if i even told you this but the i was at the be very beginnings of being a singer song like i wanted to be what you were doing i wanted to be okay and i had only seen bands i'd been going to like clubs with my friends and stuff and seeing bands and it didn't really Doing, I was like, I loved it because I, I loved because you love all music. You're just right, like, totally. yes, all of it. And I would go to hardcore shows, uh, and then I would go, you know, I would go see Caveman's Call or something. But yeah. um, which I think actually you might have been on tour with them at the time or something. Yeah. But I remember seeing you and you performed in the cafeteria. Yeah, man. Part, which I'm sure you performed in a few cafeterias. Many, many, many. <laughs> which is, you know, just the best place 
so conducive to so conducive listening. to engagement. Yeah, it's listening rooms and cafeterias are just one of the same. Same, same. Um, <laughs> we all know this. It's, just, it's actually the, the Greek word for cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> means listening room it means place of place of stillness and attentiveness <laughs> cafeteria but there, there is that that's the true thought process of a 19 year old working for a student union or whatever booking band like, you know where we could put them cafeteria, cafeteria. people totally. have such a good time and the acoustics in there are like hella rad because like when i <laughs> shout at my friends they can totally hear me from across the way oh it's amazing yeah. plus fruit loops all the time oh i got that one station over there always fruit loops just big can always oh, has for in it. It's awful. But and and I, I went and uh, I think you performed because you were you were playing the next night or something with Cabins on yeah. campus or something. That makes sense. And it just being this sort of, it was a very revelatory moment because I was like, huh. there's a dude. It's like a one man band. Like you went up, you were funny, you played songs, you engaged the crowd, in all these different ways. And I w- and I remember going home and just being. Like this is oh you can do this yeah because you're you're constantly especially as a creative person you're like well I want to do this but I don't know what that looks like especially the pre-internet age right you would just sort of take in what Rolling Stone would give you or whatever shows you go to you would you would sort of form little notches in your brain of like right. oh you can do this too okay cool oh yeah. you can be in a ska band <laughs> <laughs> oh can you make you, money you, can, you could be can you make money in a ska band no, no. okay no. Um, <laughs> but whatever it is it's like oh you can do that right and that was sort of the oh this is the thing i'm looking for yep in a lot of ways huh. and so you were the you were the first person for that for me wow and uh so last year getting to like play here and everything and getting to hang out was was kind of like this is really weird oh, but, cool. but there's also the sort of the moment where i'm not like and i mean this in the best way and you'll understand but like i'm not like geeking out to be around you that's fine. it's sort Please of don't. you know what i'm saying like <laughs> yeah. there, there's sort of like and, and I've, i realized that there's there's a point now where i'm just like we're all just dudes yeah like we're all we're all slugging it out still like yep. the, the guy that you can think like oh i would love to like have that guy's career is worried about where worried about his finances or should be worried about yeah or <laughs> should yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely so no but it was a really it was it was such a cool moment i think uh I mentioned that to you last year, and and I think I think you said something to the effect of like I think that they had, and I think you're right. They had um, uh, uh, beach balls. Do you remember this? That was there was a, a the following evening, <laughs> and for the caveman show. Yeah. The guy came out, and introduced me. I think he called me Jason <laughs> instead of Justin. Of course. And and then he kicked off the night because I was opening, mm-hmm. and he kicked three beach balls into the crowd and so for my 25 Have minute fun. opening set there were beach balls just bouncing around so i, I definitely remember definitely remember that night <laughs> like yeah hey here's this guy with an acoustic guitar you know what would go really well with that is 400 kids with beach balls that totally that makes sense in his mind somehow yeah. in that 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 was how he saw the evening going just once again, just why colleges are just a magical place for, for performers. <laughs> you really never know. Not a chance. No happen. idea. No. There have been multiple times where I was excited to play this college and I got there and they were like, "Oh, well, you know, in that performance space we were going to put you, um, we have now put you in. Uh, it's it's really cool. it's the most popular dorm. You're going to go in. <laughs> people are always coming in and out. We're like, where is the place that people are always coming in and out? The foyer of this dorm. You're going to set up in the corner. It's the okay." It's the finale of Friends. It's on. So people are already going to be in there watching it. But you're just going to sit in the corner. In the, in the commercial breaks, you're going to play a song. It sounds great, yeah, right? It's a great setup. I know it sounds good. too good to be true. Yeah. If you have songs <sighs> that are two minutes and two seconds, oh. line them up. In between. That's good. No, that happened to me also with the March Madness. I was booked to play a house show, and it was during March Madness. And it was a uh, – and they were like, yeah, we just thought you played during the commercial breaks. <laughs> That can't be true, it's bro. True, recent. No way. Yeah. During yeah. the commercial breaks. During the commercial. I just, I just, like I can't even. Did you do the gig? No. No. Thank you. Okay. Uh, no, I didn't. I started because it will. It, I started between games, and I was like, I'll play a song or two. But when that second game starts, ain't nobody want to see. No. no ain't nobody want to hear the musings of a of a guy who grew up in Southwest Arkansas. No. Uh, about what the world's like. They want to see if UK is going to beat UConn or whatever. You know, they don't care. Right. So yeah, I, I played one or two songs and I was like, "Hey, this is what I do. This is my this is my living. You guys are here to watch the sports thing. Uh, I have CDs over there if you're interested. When you get done with your the pop, when your sports <laughs> thing, you can. So you guys are here to watch the sports thing. I'm good to be playing the music. <laughs> so good. Anyway, I turned into Woody Allen. Uh, so I played a couple songs and then I hung Broke out in it. the back. Yeah. I ate nachos and I was just like, "This is chalk it up to you know lessons learned." Yeah. Right. 
but that's why I'm so I, I always ask people their worst show stories because I need to feel like I'm not the only one. Like oh gosh, one. so many ones, so many, so many. How did you get hooked up with uh, Five Minute Walk? Back I was in the day. living with Frank Tate, who ran Five Minute Walk Records. You were, uh, you were just I was, living, I was living in his house. Is the way they worked was uh, he was like friends of a friend of a friend kind of a thing, and he and his wife were living in a place in Concord, and they they were building a house. Or he was having a house built or whatever, and then he they were going to move out, and we were going to move in. So this sort of intermediary friend had set this thing up here. This is Josh McRoberts, some of his boys. They're mm. all you know. I was on Young Life staff at the time, so it's like two Young Life guys and three other guys, so five single guys. And then the t- the 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 uh, if you can possibly imagine the plan not going perfectly well, <laughs> and so something about them getting their house done on time did not work, and so they were still in the house, but we were all now out of our places, and so yeah. we, so we moved in, me and four other single guys living with Frank Tate, who was at the time owning Five Minute Walk Records, yeah. and and his pregnant wife. So you imagine that point that went really well. Uh, at one point, we accidentally sold their armoire. Um, yeah, I saw you posted something about this on Facebook. Real, real story. And now I'm, I, I, I want to know I, what this is. It, it, like, this, <laughs> this person, we were just sitting at the kitchen table. I'm sure eating food that we were not supposed to eat out of the refrigerator. And door walks to the door, and my buddy Chris is talking to this person at the door. It turns out this guy comes in. We didn't know what Craigslist was or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like it was really early in the yeah. whole Craigslist world. <laughs> this guy says, I'm here to pick up the armoire. And Chris says, okay. And, <laughs> and he just walks in. He hands him some cash. I don't even think we counted the cash. And so the four of us, it's me, Chris, and, these, and two other guys, one of the other two guys was not there, we're pulling out all the electronics from this huge yeah. armoire and we're loading this into this, this guy's truck. Not even think like no thought at all about like, and I guess Maybe why would you think, yeah. you know, like, so we load the, load the truck up. Just every benefit of the doubt. And in his, all of his, all of his tech is just like laying all over the living room floor. And Liana, his wife came home and was like, what the hell is the armoire? Yeah. And we're like, oh yeah, here's the cash. And Frank says, what, what are you talking about? The guy who came, the guy from the armoire, the, the, was it Craig? He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he the, here's the cash. He bought the armoire. He's like, we're not, we weren't selling the armoire. Who is this person? And so that we sold the armoire. We tried to make a, uh, my buddy tried to make a grilled cheese sandwich on the stove and he had a glass top stove and he tried to do it without a pan. So he was trying to make a grilled cheese sandwich, just butter bread, the... just on the glass top <laughs> stove. So that went pretty well. Well, go back. So. Did you ever figure out what this dude's deal was? Was he just going? He had to. I have no idea. I, I would assume he was just at the wrong house. Like, I, like, but like, he had an identical armoire. I like. Here's what I. Here's Let's what I think happened. This. Here's what I think happened. I think this guy's wife, or girlfriend, or whoever's uh, with like bought an armoire, sent him to get it, gave him the wrong address, or he wasn't paying attention. He just walked up, said armoire. We said okay. There's so I think there's like. I think there's just like a culmination of like multiple so angles idiot. of male stupidity. So like. Idiocy. Get here for armoire. I will get you armoire. 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 Or your truck. Armoire in truck. Armoire in truck. Hand me cut. Cash in hand. Armoire. Armoire. Fire back. I think I think that's what happened. And then like I so on the other end of that exchange, I'm thinking there's someone was like, this is not even close to what I bought. I know. I'd love to see the. And other he was end. like, I'm not going back. The other back. half of that story. I would oh, love to see. I'm no not going back to that guy's house. I wouldn't, because I wouldn't either. I'd be like, no. I'll, I'll go ditch it on the yeah. side of the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Oh. So that, so at some point in the midst of all of that, uh, I was playing music just kind of for the hell of it, just try to like process life. Yeah. And Frank floated the idea, like, would you be open to doing that for a living? Uh, sure. That doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. And so, <laughs> ever, especially now, cut a record. And he put me out on the road with Five Iron Frenzy to play yeah. 48 shows in 55 days in roller skating rinks, carrying our own stage and tech. I remember that tour. It was a great tour. It was really good. Yeah, what was that experience like? It was super fun. It was That's great. Did you well, you learned to work. Any, did you feel any pushback, like, who is this acoustic guy opening for this guy band? No, because, like, they uh, Five Iron had developed such a such a um, unique relationship with their tribe. Like, we, you know, we talk about tribes now. Yeah. Like, it's a thing. Well, it's always been a thing. 
And Five Iron just knew what they were doing, even if they didn't know what they were doing. Like, mm. they just had this connection with their people. Yeah. So for folk, anyone who's opening for Five Iron, Five Iron had approval. And so, That's true. like, their people would be like, okay, here's their buddy. It's sort of like the friend of yours who yeah. brings a friend along. Yeah. And you just kind of figure that this friend who's coming with your friend See, is okay. That's what I take. That's what I always sort of go into with openers. And I'm like, who is this person? Uh, and I think, well, they must have been signed off at something. But yeah. there are people in the crowd who don't always feel that way. Nope. They're like, we Can't came wait. here for Metallica. <laughs> Put him up there. We came here for Stained. Stained. Where's Stained? We came here for Stained with a D at the end and no E. Oh, man. We don't want to see Trapped with a T at the end. Wow. Um, those are real names, too. Yeah, you remember those bands? I do. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, so that was that was so that was Frank Five Minute Walk. We, he signed the uh, middle of the first tour. Uh, no, after the first tour with Five Iron, uh, Frank took me to uh, to Nashville, mm-hmm. uh, and I'd never been to Nashville. Music industry whole thing was very strange. And we went to that uh, a thing uh, the GM GMA week. Yeah, deal. and there was a showcase. And this is just like a glimpse into like my five minute walk history. So first thing is I'm out on this like I, you know we're uh, everyone's schlepping gear for 55 days. Like everyone's working. So mm-hmm. I learn right out the gate like like you you have to bust your hump. Like this is about work. This is not about like getting up there and like automatically having something. Like yeah. you you work and you earn it. And I had to earn it with we're playing like 800 to 1400 kids a night. They don't know who I am. Yeah. They're not going to dig my music. I've got to, I've got to earn it. So that was a great way to get in. Yeah. Like I wasn't hand, I was handed the tour, but I had to work hard to make it work. GMA week. It's some kind of radio thing with a bunch of radio people. And all these labels are like rolling out their old acts and their new acts, old acts with new records and blah, 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 blah. And Mm -hmm. so the evening was like audio adrenaline was there and there's a singer songwriter named Eli was there and like all these folks and all these radio guys knew all these people. And the labels are walking around with. If you remember the CD visors, of course, yeah, with, like the with the the the, the whatever the, the visor things for the car, and you put yep. all these. So they're walking around, they're handing those things out. And Frank showed up with nothing. He shows up and his, he gets up, and this is I'm standing behind him, and I'm I'm pretty sure the the act before me was either Auto Audio Adrenaline or Eli, because those are the guys I remember. But I remember thinking like I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do now, because people were standing. Oh, it was it was Audio Adrenaline, because <laughs> people were standing up doing this like raise the roof thing yeah. like all these like heavy set radio people like like dancing <laughs> up and down the aisle doing the doing this like I get all the up for radio kind of thing and yeah. i was like okay this is this is, i don't know what i'm i have no idea how to do any of what was yeah. just done so i stand up there i've got my guitar i'm on the mic and, and frank's in front of me and the way that you know label guy introduces the band and frank says um you know we didn't you know as as his five minute walk tradition we didn't bring any gifts for you because we feel like you know if 
if our stuff's good enough, you'll play it, and we shouldn't have to bribe you to do it. I was like, so okay. You just wow. threw all these guys under the bus. And then he says this. He goes, so this is Justin McRoberts. Uh, just signed him to a record. He's on a tour. Did a really good job. Uh, I'll be honest. He's not that great right now. <laughs> Are you serious? And, I was, and I'm standing behind right. him. Holding, I'm holding my guitar. He's like, he's not that great right now. But he says this. He's not that great right now. But, but this is what I'm betting. I'm betting that 15 years from now, he's going to be – He's going to still be making music. He'll be making better music than he was making the, the, the 10 years or 15 years prior. He'll still be at it and he'll still be, still be working at it. He goes, I, I'm investing in a career. And then he says, I would bet that most of the folks that you brought tonight probably won't be making music 10 years from now. I'm making an investment. I'd like you to invest in this with me. And then he walked Whoa. off the stage. And I was Frank like, freaking Tate. That's what I'm saying. Like, this was the Frank guy. Frank the Tank. This is what, the, and that's how, like, my entrance in, like, the gift I was given with five minute walk was this is a job like you bust your ass or you don't have it anymore. And two, like think long term. you're going to have crap shows. You're going to have crap records. You're yeah. going to have crap years, but be here 15 years later and let that be like the first marker, right? Like not like, did you sell a crap ton of your first, second or third record? Cause like, honestly, like there's a ton of, you and I both know there are a ton of folks who can go out there and sell a crap ton of records. Yeah. And then three years after they sold a crap ton of records, they've got nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be one of those folks. No. Like I want to be thinking, what am I making? I'm in 41 years old. What am I? What am I going to be doing creatively? How am I going to be like adding beauty and goodness to the world into my 50s and 60s? Like, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's how I came in because the guy who ran the label said it's about working and it's about the long run. So wow. like, love five minutes. What walk. a good lesson to be taught early on to be shown. Yeah. They're like, this isn't about – because he could have been like, he's the best thing out there. He, he'll blow you away. He could have just overhyped. And, no. And, <laughs> no. Yeah. And I, I would have been like, um, I have four chords I'm familiar with, and uh, and this this song has five chords, so this might not go all that well. Okay, guys, here we go. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Who's Bobcat Goldthwait doing up there? <laughs> yeah, I love that you picked up the reference. Of course. Yes, this all just, right. Sometimes I, I, you notice I'm losing the hair on my head, and sometimes you find it in my mouth. It's like, it's like, it's like mental floss. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, man, Bobcat was the jam. He still is. That dude's amazing. I haven't seen him in a long time. He doesn't perform so as much anymore, but he's uh, he's gotten into he directs a bunch of TV shows now. Really? He, he writes and directs his own movies, which are real dark and bizarre and absurd. Because not he shocking is. at all. Not at all. But dude, that dude's a rock star. He used to open for Nirvana. Did you know that? As a comedian? Yeah. He was Nirvana. Kurt Cobain and Nirvana were they were big comedy fans, and they would bring. As it's sort of a joke, like this is what we want to see before we play, like like wow. and their crowds hated it. And so and Bobcat was the only one who kept saying yes because, <laughs> because he was like, "This is great training." So he kept going out and and going out and and opening for them. And wow, I had no a, idea. Yeah, so he that those his first like arena shows and big venue shows were were opening for Nirvana. <laughs> Fantastic. It's not amazing. It explains a lot about him because he just has he just doesn't care. Does not care. But he directs a bunch of like weird kind of absurd television shows now they're just the episodes you'll just see his name at the bottom and you know in the credits while the while the opening scene's playing yeah directed by bug guy goldthwaite he's killing it. it yeah huh. good for him i love yeah then that, that's that's an, i mean that goes back to comedy but i i find that sometimes stand-up comedy is way more rock and roll than rock and roll yes because it goes back to like they because they just have the mic and their brain and there's and, less machinery i mean the, like yeah. there is like you got a what an a, a channel on xm radio yeah but in terms of like places to land your stuff so yeah. that everyone can hear it it's different now i guess obviously with with you know youtube channels etc but ultimately like that's still self-made machinery yep. There, yep. there's less machinery it's a ton of work yeah and yeah you have to build a tribe because ultimately like the folks like mike berbigley is great at this where yeah. like He's funny, but he's not like he's not like fall on the floor funny all that often. But you get so familiar with him as a person, you're like, oh, it's Mike. Mike's funny. Yeah, he's that kind of funny. The way I saw him live, and and he just kind of, he just came out and started looking at the crowd, kind of, and just him being kind of this schlubby dude, and he was just like, oh, oh okay. I guess we're going to start. And people are just like losing it because, yeah, because yeah, they were familiar with yeah. his brand. He's a long con guy, too. Like, yes, he is. If you invest in something like him, the payoff will be every time that guy has like an awkward pause. You're laughing because yeah. you're like, what's he about to say? Absolutely. That's the brilliance of a lot of stand ups. And, and, and I've learned it, too, when when setting up songs or even like joking between songs or whatever, is if you can 
sort of pause halfway through a sentence and they're laughing because they're just thinking about what you're about to say. Yeah. And then what you say, there's like an explosion. Yes. It doesn't matter what it is. They're, if they're right there. Yeah. They're just ready to laugh with you. It, there's a symphony to it. There's like a play back and forth. There's yeah. like you're, you are tossing this ball back and forth with the crowd. Absolutely. Which is why it's hard to explain to people when I, I, I get annoyed when there's not a crowd. And it's not that I, just, I need to feed off of thousands of people. But it's more fun yeah. if you have sort of a condensed group of, you know, it doesn't even, you know, be fifty people. What doesn't yep. matter? But if there's just a couple of people, it's like ah, oh, nobody's here. It, that's not a to say that the few dozen people that do decide to come are bad. It's like oh, it's fun when you have like the energy, kinetic yes. energy of you know, whatever, because you get to sort of toss that ball back and forth. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with the idea that you feed off, you feed off a crowd like you do no. like like there is a they, they bring. Oh, was, actually, the thing I was just saying, I'll be uh, I'll, I'll talk about it tomorrow morning before we leave here, mm-hmm. is that the um my friend Laura Van Duren makes a, a visual art and almost everything she makes has this interactive element like she created this piece recently called a uh, something cloud I can't remember what the first phrase is but it's a cloud and it's huge it's, it's bigger if you can possibly imagine it's bigger than the room we're in For uh, real? It's, yeah it's a huge huge space and you'd step into it so that she built this huge cloud <clears throat> and there's a ladder so you walk underneath it and you climb up the ladder and you can move the ladder around and there are pens hanging inside it. And what mm. she wants you to do, she wants you to write on the piece. And she's got questions she asks in different parts of the cloud and it's all about ideas and thinking and thought and memory. Right. Like most of her work is that way where there's some sort of interactive element. And what she says is that it's not finished, that the, a, a work of art is not finished until it's actually been engaged with, which is to say a work of art is never actually really finished so long as people are still engaging with it Mm -hmm. and part of what happens with live music is like this the songs i have like in a sense like i'm done with my part if i finish it and i track it but that's just like a it's like until it's in someone else's ears or in someone else's heart or in so like until it's engaged with it's like maybe an elaborate form of journaling it's just me and this song and that's great but what makes it art is when it lands in someone's life and they are responding and reacting to it like suddenly that's art there's like a there's this relational necessity to a thing that actually makes it art. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, the way Seth Godin talks about art as anything that facilitates connection between people. Well, if there's no connection, then there is no art. So I actually love the idea that, that, that an audience feeds an artist in that way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you can't do what we do without the people who listen. Like, like mm-hmm. the value of listenership, we never talk about the value of listenership. We never talk about the value. We talk about the value of consumership. We can talk about sure. people buying stuff, but just that engagement. Like, I, you know, most of the yeah. folks I know who are, who've done, who've made a living in the arts long term, the money, like, absolutely, you've got to have the money because you got to pay for life. Sure. But the thing that actually drives you is the relationships you develop with people, not in the sentimental way, but like, there's a sense of completion mm-hmm. to what I'm doing when what I'm making lands in someone else's life and they re- like react and respond to it. Which is interesting because most artists, I would say, not to generally speak, are introverted and don't really, you know, the, the idea of like getting, inf- like dealing with a bunch of people yeah. sort of freaks them out or being in a group of people freaks them out. Yeah. So the juxtaposition of those two things is is interesting to me. Well, your art draws you out. Like 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 you have to now I've created this thing and I want to actually share it with someone. So now like my own creation is actually drawing me out of myself in order to like into relationship with other folks. So mm-hmm. introversion ends up getting like kind of uh, like compromised by or countered by yeah. the creative process. It's like the alien in Alien. Yeah comes out of you and it's a yes. super charismatic like come and then on you, guys. And, then, and then you die and then you die <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that it's just like it's exactly like that ridley scott knew what he was doing really did uh no that, that is that's that's why i i can talk to artists forever about this kind of stuff because uh, just getting a sense for what drives us to create and then take that art and connect yeah is is endlessly interesting because everybody's sort of like hanging out with artists is sort of like having an immediate uh mutual friend yep because you can just be like oh what do you do oh well i you know i paint oh cool we have something we can talk about now i don't care what it is oh i you know i write for a tv show i'm a comedian doesn't matter yeah um but then you once you start diving a little bit deeper you 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 see that everybody kind of has their own unique story but yeah there's uh, a lot of common threads 
Decide to or compelled to write uh, this book that you wrote, the title pending. Uh, years of doing what I do, and uh, and I, I was I would talk about what I do, like like this conversation, mm-hmm. like the stories I was telling just now about Frank Tate and Five Minute Walk. Like I know I need to write that stuff down, and so right. I would I would right. have these conversations with folks, and then I would, I would be like, what the hell did I say that? <laughs> And so I started. I just started collecting these thoughts because I would talk. I'd be on campus at a college and be talking to some young songwriter because that's one of the things I get to do. I'll be on campus, I'll play a show, yeah. and then I'll like hang out with the arty students. Right. And so we'll have these conversations. Uh, and one in particular is gal like called and said, "Hey, you know, I know you're going to be at Gordon College in uh, in, uh, in Massachusetts, Boston." Right? And, yeah. and I said, "Yeah." She said, "Would you be open to doing a like a little workshop for our?" art students and i was like i have i have no idea what the hell i would say like i like this is years ago i'm like i don't know what i what would i say about creative process where mm-hmm. that as i thought about it she was like i think you'd be great so let's just book the thing i'm like oh, okay, okay. so <laughs> with so i had to start thinking about like okay well i have made records and i so uh how do i deal with this so i started writing those thoughts out and and at some point i just had enough stuff and i'd had enough conversations to realize that's probably worth putting together in a book form. I also, in all honesty, this is a terrible thing to say, but sometimes sometimes you get motivated by watching by watching people do things poorly. And this is not yes, to say that, that I did this really book true. like really, really well, because like there are folks who write about the creative process. Uh, the guy f- uh, from Pixar, the, he wrote a book called Creativity Inc. Um, I cannot remember his name Pete, right now. Uh, the creator? Not, not Pete John Doctor. Lasseter? No. Um, uh, I'll remember it later on. Uh Kaz, not Kaz. Anyways. Oh, I know. Yeah, okay. Cam, Cam, Ink, Inkman, Don, Sally, Ergler. Dumbler. Ergler. <laughs> uh, but anyways, Ham B. Ergler. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but like, it's a brilliant book. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to, like, I'm not trying to, like, write the book on creativity. But I, what, I, what I watched was folks who are within reach of me be it like be it like a a, a songwriters conference, mm. and specifically because I'm a Christian, like I would go to these the, the Christians like to do their own little thing in their own little pocket. So it's this Christian songwriting conference, and I watched artist after artist stand up on stage and be asked questions about their process and respond with questions about inspiration. So like, how did you write this song? Like, tell me about the writing of the song. And she or he would respond with the backstory of like, well, I was driving and I saw this accident and I thought about blah blah blah. I'm like. We're not actually handing people tools about yeah. how, how we do what we do. Like, that's great. But everyone's had that experience where they wanted to write it. Like, how did you freaking do it? Like, everybody has a story. And, uh, yeah, that's where they'll and then they're like, and then I wrote the song. Like, yeah. well, that's you just <laughs> you get to, over the go, part. go to that part. Go to that. So I so like I realized that like I, I like I did have a process and I could probably say some things that would be helpful, at least to some people about like like when I decided to write a song or write a chapter of a right. book or whatever. Like, what do I do then? Like, what's my next thing? And what do I do when I, like, don't want to make this thing? What Or what do I do when I hate the idea that I put on the table? Or what do I do when I realize that half of what I wrote is crap? Yeah. Like, wh- like what do I what do I actually do? Like, where do, like we talked th- this morning uh, uh, about, you know, about, uh, like, how we – about songwriting process. And I talked about, like, I have a journal where I write down lyrical ideas. Like, well, that's a helpful tool. 
and that I have set aside a specific time monthly to actually get into those ideas and work on them that like those that's like a helpful thing to say like I don't that I'm not trying to write every day because mm. I don't know who the hell does that like, like I guess there are people who write every day because I hear this and that's good for them I'm just not one of those folks yeah. so maybe it would be freeing for me to write about my process and say like I don't write every day yeah I might capture an I you know an idea every day maybe but I'll I'll sit down to write like two three times a month mm. where I'm like in concentration trying to do it okay I could pass that on as an idea so it was both things like I, ha I actually turned out that I had things to say and I really wanted to try to fill in the gap for some folks who are looking for handles and tools like how do I actually do the things that those people do yeah yeah I mean I totally get it because I read those types of books all the time and and I'll read anything I mean I, I even if it's uh sort of a hacky sort of like seemingly out of date you know here, ways to get your creative drive like but you know yeah if anything just to sort of see like oh that's that doesn't that doesn't work for me or whatever right. it is um i don't care if it's tony robbins or whatever it is if there's any kind of like believe in yourself kind of thing, there's something you can glean from it that'll that i feel like will help but yeah. i've done those too where i've read you know artist way or some of these books and and i'm like i think i could write one that because i don't i i get like 70 percent of this yeah. i understand what you're saying but there's this other part that you know, because the creative process is so varied. Yes. And and it's I don't think any of it's really wrong if you're getting the job done. Yep. You know, uh, so I, I don't know. It was interesting reading your book and sort of um, just if anything, it's your voice. Yeah. So which which a lot of people are like, why would I even why would I do the kind of music I want to write or the kind of book I want to write? Whatever. It's already out there or whatever. I was like, yeah, but you'd be giving a very specific voice. Yep. And your your experience is very specific, which is why I start with the story I start with. That, like there is like, what do I have to say about the creative process? I don't know what I have to say about the creative, but I know about mine. Yeah, I can talk about my creative process, which, yeah. like you said, like it, it, like you said, the is the 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 hang up of a lot of folks come to the table with is like maybe you want to write a song or you want to write a book or poetry. Well, like sure as hell, someone else has written a song about the same thing yeah. and it's better. Like there are always going to be people who are going to do it better than you, but you do have a kind of responsibility to yourself and to your world to make what it is that you can make. So I'm not going to write the book on creative process. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write mine just like you aren't going to write the song about romantic relationships, but you need to write yours. Sure. So I wanted to kind of set the table in that way because that's totally an obstacle for folks like – who the hell wants to write a folk song? Like Dylan finished that job. Did he? Like didn't <laughs> yeah, Dylan? I think done. Dylan killed it, right? And we're all we're all done with that. And then there's a bunch now. I mean, that's the, the sort of trend right now is for dudes with guitars and beards to get out there and regurgitate, <laughs> which is fine. Like that's no, good. It's, oh, it's totally. Like, I love some of that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's some being the operative. Some being there. the operative, but that's um, part of I, the process for sure. <laughs> I wrote down uh, a couple of questions. I'm I'm interested in this just in general and i think about it all the time because it's it's doesn't seem to be a thing i have my a grasp on but I, I as a fan i'm interested in in this with people and this goes into like how much do you offer up as, as far as your process and being here especially at escape to the lake and this whole thing is about i feel like no stone is left unturned hmm. like people want to know every single thing right about your creative process and every single song you've ever written but what uh how much do you let you meaning artists or whatever it doesn't have to be specifically how much do you think you should let fans in on the inner workings, and when do you throw out mystique altogether? Uh, like what level of mystique should be there to make the art seem, you know, you, you know what I mean? Just like to make we, it seem we, more we, interesting, you mean? Maybe because there are some people who I'm like, well, that there's something interesting about that guy. He's so dark, and you know, like it's the yeah. Jack White thing versus, you know, somebody who's just giving it all up, and they're just you, there's there's no sort of mystery about them, huh? There's yeah, I don't know. For, in my experience, like I, I feel a little bit more of a responsibility to pass on the stuff I, like I, I think that's part of my role though too. Like is maybe not exclusively, but uh, but more uniquely mine. That like I think part of my role is to expose as much as I can possibly expose of my own process and be more mm -hmm. open. Not so much with like the deeply like with stuff that's like really really personal about me as a human being. Cause I don't think I need to let people like weigh into like my own inner workings psychologically. Okay. Um, but as an artist, like how I make stuff, if folks are interested, I think I have a responsibility to communicate that as clearly somewhat be, something be, to some degree because I I can. 
So because I can do it, I like I have the, I have an ability to actually communicate at least to some degree. I should I should probably take advantage of that. Not everyone has that, right? I mean, so yeah. I, I who knows? I mean, Jack White he's a freaking genius, but who knows if he like has the desire or the capacity to actually say, well, this is how I make what I make. He also might not really totally know. I bet he does, but like yeah, he, yeah. yeah. But like, the, if you have the desire, the capacity, I feel like you know you do have a responsibility to pass that on. Sort of like a like a coach. Like if you've got the knowledge, yeah. you have the, the you have a responsibility to to pass on the knowledge you have. Not everyone has to do the same thing. Do you ever wish that you were more mysterious as an artist? I think I have in the past. I think I find like I, I've wanted to be. I've wanted to be the guy that you know, like walks into a room and everyone gets quiet. And they're like, oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. Oh, Mike Roberts. Yeah, but <laughs> like that's never worked for me, ever. Uh, and so f- I've fallen into like uh, like I guess the I don't know what to say. Like I I, I get who I am. Mm. I'm I'm more approachable. Like that's yeah. that's a quality of mine. And so instead of like coming off as like kind of a prick. To yeah. kind of keep people at a distance, I, I'm approachable. It's part of the gift I get to offer yeah. as a person, as an artist. And so, yeah, I think in the past, like I thought I could add value to what I do by being mysterious, but I'm realizing that part of the, what I get to add as a value is as a teacher and as a bridge builder mm-hmm. and as a communicator. And that's that's more personal interactive. I see those artists, and there are definitely times when I'm like, man, I should be more like that. That, that guy's so cool. But I don't have naturally and if i'm being honest with myself like i'm not that way either i would rather be the guy who plays a show and everybody's thinking like oh i'd really like that you know have a beer with that guy yeah i'd rather be that dude because yeah. that's more interesting to me and those because that, that's, that's what i want to do <laughs> like, yeah. like i want to hang and, and, and when it comes down to it the guys that i or like my mount rushmore of artists are those types of artists yeah. they're the kind of guys who seem approachable they write relatable songs but you know they still engage you and they still you know they're just boundlessly inter- entertaining and interesting, but that doesn't take away any of the, the, the lack of mystique doesn't take away the talent or the, right. the impact, right. you know, which well, I you was, have a different role. I it's thought a, it did for a long time. Yes. Yeah. You have a, you have a different role. Like that's not your role. Like it's not like, it's not Neil Diamond's role to be hyper approachable. Like that's not your role. Please don't be yeah. like, I, yeah. I don't Neil. I don't, I actually don't really want to approach Neil. I don't know. I don't think it is. No, but right. I listen to He I looks like, sweaty. He oh. does often. <laughs> Often, if not always. <laughs> oh, I used to be angry. I learned how to fight. Oh, I used to be certain. Now I'm alright. Used to think every good work was done in the light. Everything is changed for me. I have a, a few questions that I ask people. We just did a, a podcast. People don't know this because they're listening to this at a separate <laughs> point. We just did a live episode. Uh, so we are double, double dipping with the podcast today. Into it. This is great. Um, I already, I asked you a few of these already. What, what, uh, we'll go with the lightning round, non sequitur questions to wind us down at the okay, end. Okay. I'm ready. What, uh, what TV show or movie do you quote most frequently in your everyday life? Uh, Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. We yeah. Just, yeah. We talked about that on yeah. yeah. Like that's in my head. At all times, I've got dialogue. Not so much uh, Batman Begins. I love the film, yeah, but it's not as quotable as Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. It's yeah. constantly running through my mind. How fast? How many times have you seen those? Oh, I don't even. Honestly, a bunch. Because they're it, it's an investment. They're oh, like yeah. you know, Dark Knight's almost three hours. 
Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been in there a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about that that appeals to you? Uh, I, I've well, the bat- Batman in general is a thing for me. Like I'm a, I'm kind of a Batman fan. Yeah. Uh, just loved it. I always have. Uh, I've got dad issues, and the Batman's yep. got some dad issues. I think I connect in there a little bit, and yeah. the whole justice thing, and the sort of, you know, I, I do advocacy work, and so I care about the poor and. Yeah. There's something in me that would love to. I would love that part of my job as an advocate for the poor would be the opportunity to punch bad guys in the neck repeatedly. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get to do that, so I get to watch him do it. I think there's some catharsis in there for me. I, I love the story. I like. I yeah. like the character. Uh, like I read a lot of Batman comics. Those movies were like really fun and well done, and yeah. a great Joker. You gotta love a bad, oh, no a good bad guy, and so uh, yeah. I, uh, but they're just in my head. I, I yeah. honestly, I couldn't tell you how many times I watched. I've watched those films. I, I have no idea. I see. I saw them multiple times in the theater. They're like I usually tour in the summer the most, and so I'll I go and kill time in a you know in hundred degree weather. I'll go to a movie theater and just yeah. chill in the AC. And like the summer the Dark Knight Rises came out, I saw it like four times yes. in the theater, and mostly IMAX, and it was fan freaking tastic. Yeah, we went time. when they they had the six minute. The first six minutes of the movie. Yes. They had at the front end of Mission, Mission Impossible. Impossible. And I, I was I literally so we went to an IMAX theater, we paid eighteen dollars a ticket. We yeah. watched the six minutes of the Batman uh, of the Batman uh Dark, or Dark Knight Rises. Rises and then left. Yeah. Because I had no interest in the Mission Impossible film, but I paid eighteen bucks to go watch this first six minutes of Dark Knight Rises in IMAX and I yeah. was totally satisfied. I was like, It's such a good opening too. Such a great opening. Yeah. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah, that I mean, it's a different thing than the Joker, and it's hard to follow that up. I think Tom Hardy did a pretty great job as yes, Bane. yes. Uh, do you? Uh, oh, yes, I think I was. Oh, do you? I wrote. Do you share a birthday with a celebrity? I'm not sure. January first. You know Ooh, you're January. You're a New Year's baby. Yeah. So, I, so with reality, I guess. There I'm you sure. go. With yes. uh, with the ca- with the with the uh, Greco Roman calendar. What's your first memory of the internet? Did I see that last year? No, first memory of the internet. Maybe you did. I, th- I can't remember because I've thought about this before and I don't think about it often. I was a chat room. I was with a buddy of mine who was like super into the net and he was telling me that he was talking with some people in another part of the world. I was like, what? Like, what? And it was like it was uh, probably an AOL chat room and it was like red and blue. Yeah, and yeah, I remember that. He was like, hey, get on here, and I was like, this is. Really addicted. I remember not understanding <laughs> that it wasn't like a CD-ROM program for a long time. Oh, really? I remember like a whole year of school not really understanding that we were because we, we would have like computer class and it would be it would just be the interface of like AOL just looked like a CD-ROM program. Because huh. and you would put a CD in because thousands of, you know a thousand hours of whatever. So I didn't. I was like, oh, I didn't think you realized until you start clicking. You can type in anything. Till search engines. Alta Vista or whatever came around. Yeah, man. And you were like, oh, like you can type in anything and it pops up. Yeah. It it's, it wasn't that long ago. No, it was. It not. was not not that long. Ago. But it feels we, like we sound like dinosaurs. Compl- <laughs> but it feels like a completely either an alternate timeline that we've yes. now like we've jumped timelines yes. into a place where there's always been yeah the internet uh, or time just started speeding up real quick because I, I, I yeah I think so. Well, the fact that like there's an Apple Watch that's about to come out that's already has so much more than the other Apple Watch that just yeah. came out. Yes. Like this is insanity. Pace of tech. Yeah, and you're there. I mean, you're you you're basically because how far is Silicon Valley? Like that area from you? It's an hour south. Yeah. See, that's insane. Have you seen the show Silicon Valley at all? I, I watched the I first. Th- I watched the the pilot episode and I was not enthralled. Okay, it's so. a it's a slow build. It's it's Mike Judge. So yeah, you know he's. Going. I like Mike Judge. I just don't have. I I'm in. I especially in the. It, during the year, I'm into so many shows. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't really have time. I've got The Flash and Arrow and Gotham. Oh, so you watch all those? Shield. You watch and, Shield? And yeah, and then they dropped. Uh, it, Netflix dropped Daredevil. And, yeah. And now they're gonna, they're doing. Uh, I think they're doing Mike Cage, and they're doing a few others. So. So you're like, like you're like superhero invested. I'm pretty superhero invested. <laughs> I like comics. Yeah. Is your kid into them too? He's starting to. Uh, on a on a recent trip, I was gone for two weeks, and I think because he missed me, he would come into the bedroom early, and he would he does this sometimes anyways. He would come in and like we we would like hang out and he, like I'll sit up and read, and he'll kind of yeah. he'll bring in kind of pretend to read yeah. or ask me to read to him. Yeah. 
So he was climbing in the bed with my wife, but before he did so, he would go over to the shelves and pull off one of my comics and then like climb into the bed oh, and like flip through the buddy. comics. And then he started asking questions about who's this. And my wife's like, I have no idea. <laughs> you have to ask your, ask your father ask when your he gets father. home. And so when I got home, he pulled out all those comics that he had pulled out. Yeah. It was like Infinite Crisis and all these like really amazing storylines. I was like, oh. Oh, let me tell you. Oh, like, I have been waiting, my son. Yes, this is the pariah. And he's like, pariah. I'm yeah. like, yeah, baby, let's get into yes. this. So he's now he's just now getting into the stuff. That's so fun. Which is great. He bought me a Batman Lego set for my birthday. <laughs> no, for Father's Day. Like that's what it, that's what Isn't he got me. Funny? Can you even imagine like our generation buying our dads toys? No. Like it's such a, a new thing. It's like, a new it's, thing. It's this I'm new happy. millennial man child thing that we are in. I'm down. I love it too. <laughs> Super stoked. Dude, Justin, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for podcast. having me. And that does it for episode 88. If you would like to listen to more of Justin McRoberts' music, you can do so on iTunes, Amazon, or at justinmcroberts.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Justin McRoberts. Uh, his upcoming release, Everything Has Changed, is available for pre-order on iTunes this very moment. It releases to the world on September 1st. And when you order pre-order it from his site, justinmcroberts.com, you get a free audiobook download of his book, CMYK, which is well worth your time. So an amazing deal. Uh, if you'd like to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at who writes pod as well as Instagram at who writes pod. Also facebook.com slash who writes this stuff, uh, for episode 88 and who writes this stuff. My name is Nick Flora. Thank you for listening. Now go do something creative. <laughs>